0: Morning everyone. How's it? Good to be with you all today. Good to be with all of you who are online, and wherever you are. Um, I'm not sure how many tennis fans we have here today. Anyone? A few, that's good. Um, I'm not really very good at playing tennis, to be quite frank. Actually, once I get going, I'm alright. I just can't serve. And so it's quite hard to play a game when you can't start it, you know, it's, it's quite a tricky one. Um, but anyway, for non-tennis fans, you might have missed over the last few weeks, or yeah, a few weeks that Naomi Osaka, um, who is a 23-year-old four-time Grand Slam singles champion. She's ranked number two by the Women's Tennis Association. But she's made headlines over the last few weeks, I'm not sure if you followed this. Um, she pulled out of the French Open essentially because she refused to do a mandatory interview after, um, after one of her matches. Going into the event, however, she had said that she's not keen to do interviews because she was wanting to preserve her mental health. So anyway, she didn't do this um, interview and her non-compliance landed her a substantial fine um, and then subsequently she pulled out of the French Open Osaka said that she has been struggling with mental health issues um, for quite a long time. She said she's dealt with bouts, long bouts of depression since the 2018 um, US Open. And she said that her mental health struggles are so intense that often, and we can go back and look, she actually has headphones on um, at the tournaments to act as this buffer, because she experiences such severe social anxiety. Phrases like mental health, phrases like self-care, or well-being, and many other phrases have become way more common over the last few years, as mental health struggles have become way more prevalent. In South Africa, in our population of 59 million-ish, approximately one in three people deal with some mental health struggle. One in three. That is 19 million people in our country. Let's let that sink in for a little while. One in three. So many of us are that person, that one in three. And if we're not that person, we live or work or play or pray with a person who's struggling with mental health. And so if we are to love the people around us, it's our duty to grow in our understanding of struggles like these, of these inner struggles that we can't see that people are dealing with necessarily. So we're starting a series today that we've called David's Other Goliaths, David's Other Goliaths. So obviously, David, if you have been around church at all or went to Sunday school, maybe as a child, you would know about David and Goliath. David that guy the little guy who slayed that giant Goliath he had a slingshot you remember the story so with a slingshot he took this giant down and was an instant hero it was a visible giant a visible stone and a visible and instant victory if you know anything about david this is probably the story that you know one of the things that you might not know is that david faced a lot of other unseen giants we have access to a lot of david's inner life because of the psalms so david is the author of almost half of the psalms um, and reading these psalms is kind of like reading david's journal or his diary because you get to see how he's feeling you get to see his heart one of the most striking things is that it's pretty clear that David faced another giant an internal and invisible giant one that was seemed to be more powerful than Goliath one that he had to slay over and over and over again and it came in many forms and over the next few weeks we are going to be looking at some of these internal Giants things like fear anxiety depression guilt things that you can't see on the exterior, but things that are waging war in people's souls. Having said that, David was a master with a slingshot. We saw that with Goliath, but he also seemed to be a master at slaying those unseen giants as well. You know, we've got a lot that we can learn from him we often ask questions like, does the Bible have anything to say about this? Does the Bible have anything to say about depression or anxiety? Of course it does. God made us. He knows us. He, he has a lot to say into our well-being. And so over the next few weeks, as I said, let's get ready to learn from Scripture through the life of David. We're going to take a moment just to pray as we start this series right now. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you, that you care about us, that you care about our hearts, you care about the things that no one else can see. You also know about the things that no one else can see. And so we just pray as we, as we sit here today that you would speak into our hearts, wherever we are right now, that you would speak into our lives, and specifically today we pray that you would speak into our fears. In Jesus' name, amen. So as John said, we're gonna be looking at the topic of fear today. What can we learn from the life of David about dealing with fear? And fear is something that all of us deal with. It might be something that literally feels like it's crippling you, that you can't get out of bed, or it can be like nervousness, or you know, just a little, what will those people think about me? We all deal with fear um, in some stage. David said this in Psalm 27 verse one. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? What can we learn from someone who says these words? First of all, how do you picture this person's life? Someone who says things like this, that's the lyrics in their worship song, right? What do you think their life looks like? I mean, for me, maybe it's just me, I'm like, well, this is, it sounds like he's got it easy, hey? Peaceful, simple, calm those people that say things like, don't worry, or why are you so upset about that, or why are you anxious? Aren't they irritating? Hey, and you kind of just think, well, you have no idea. Maybe you've never been through what I'm going through right now. That's at least what we think. That is not the case with David. I'll take you on a very short journey through the formative years of David's life, um, and let's Let's look and see, did this guy have it easy? He's the guy that was able to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? Is there something that we can learn from him? So let's remember, as a, as a young boy, David was a shepherd, right? Um, and often with, I think at least, that uh, it's, you know, green grass, sheep, what's, what's to worry about there? But it was a pretty hardcore job back in the day. David describes this job in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. He says casually, uh, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, i go after it. Sorry, what? <laughs> when a lion or bear comes, I'll go after it. That is not an easy job. I would be running very fast in the opposite direction. Being a shepherd was tough. Out there in the, the elements with these animals, for me, I think personally, the dark would get me. nighttime you can have those nights with the full moon when it's actually all right, and then there's nights that are just, can you imagine, Pitch black, that snap of a twig. You don't know where this lion or bear are coming from that, you know, to take the lamb that you have to protect. It's like one of those survival shows without the camera crew, you know. I imagine huge amounts of fear in this early phase of David's life and and lots of moments like that. In his family structure, David was the youngest. It seems from scripture that he was quite overlooked. Um, And then when David was about 15 or 16 years, there was this moment where the prophet Samuel came to anoint him as the king that God had chosen. So out of all these brothers, the Lord chooses David, the youngest. Wonder what his brothers thought about that. Wonder that moment, insecurity, how, how those brothers would have reacted, how those brothers would have treated David in that moment or after that moment. Imagine how David must have felt. This prophet comes to your home and anoints you as God's chosen king of Israel. If ever there was an intimidating task, that would be one, let alone for a 15 or 16 year old guy. But even more intimidating, God anoints David as his chosen king when there was another king already in power. So King Saul was the king, but the Lord had rejected King Saul because um, he had been disobedient and had worried more about what people had thought. And so God had rejected King Saul and had anointed David, but King Saul was still in power. Imagine that moment. Imagine how David must have felt. And soon after that, David was recommended to go and work at the palace as King Saul's musician. So there he is, working for King Saul. God's chosen, working for God's rejected. If ever there was a hostile working environment, I would say that was probably it. Samuel, the prophet, was so scared to go and anoint David in the first place, he said this, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. He will kill the prophet. What will he do to God's chosen? And here they are working together. And it it looks like it's a really short time in, in David's life because all of this is all in like one chapter of 1 Samuel. But he worked for King Saul for approximately six or seven years. That was David's reality. Crazy. And then at the age of about 23, there was this Goliath moment. You know, the, the one where David becomes this instant hero. And although his actions were incredibly courageous, remember there was a whole army that was too petrified to even take action. His actions were courageous. But imagine that moment. I, I, I don't believe for a second that David did not experience fear in that moment. Can you imagine his heart beating? Can you imagine the adrenaline? I mean, he acted, but I imagine he was still afraid. The people loved David, especially after this Goliath moment, which led to Saul not loving David very much at all. David moved into the palace. He married one of Saul's daughters. And essentially, the rest of one Samuel is the story of how David ran for his life. King Saul got more and more jealous of David. He got more and more afraid of David. And so he decided he needed to kill him. And so he tried again and again and again and again to kill David. And he was on the run for about seven years until he finally heard that Saul was dead and then soon after that, David's official reign over Israel began. This is a very little synopsis of the first 30 years of David's life. And you can see, they weren't easy. They weren't free from fear. Fear was definitely one of David's companions. And actually if you look throughout his life past the part that we're not going to look at today, still very far from being carefree or fear-free. And yet David was still this person who could say, "The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why Should I tremble? And that Psalm actually goes on to say, when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. So what can we learn from him? This guy that slayed a visible giant, but also seemed to slay these internal giants and have control mastery over them. I wanna say that David knew that God was bigger than his fear. David knew that God was bigger than his fear. I've never seen a relationship that's more honest than what we see with David as he speaks to God in the Psalms. He is brutally honest. Sometimes like when you, I don't know if you've ever tried to read the Psalms out loud. Sometimes I get to parts where I'm praying these Psalms out loud and I'm like, am I allowed to say that to God? You know? And obviously I am. David knew. He didn't have to protect God from his emotions. That's something that church has kind of weirdly trained us in, which is not right. We've been conditioned in this way that we need to protect God from our emotions. God is big. David knew that. Whatever I bring to God, I know him. He knows me. I know his goodness. I know his greatness. He knew. God and he knew that God was bigger than his fears many of you would have seen an audition recently on America's Got Talent um, that introduces us to a lady called Jane but she calls herself Nightbird, um, and her story is that she's battling cancer um, and she's been given two percent chance of surviving but in her words she says two percent is not naught percent two percent is something And I wish people knew how amazing it is, an amazing outlook on life. But she, from what I've read and what I've looked into her life is somebody who also knows God. She writes this uh, blog post called, God is on the bathroom floor. I wanna read you something from it. She says, I've had cancer three times now and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes when I die and meet God that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this, he can never say that he didn't know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses. Sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I've called him a cheat and a liar and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. Count me among the friends of God. A beautiful account of, of someone who knows God. Deeply and intimately. And the Psalms are written by one who knew God. David was called a man after God's own heart. He knew God. All those long nights alone watching the sheep, he actually was never alone. He communicated with God about all things. David faithfully pursued God when no one else was watching. He longed for God's presence. He thirsted after him. He earnestly searched for him. We see this in the Psalms. It seems like to David, the unseen one was actually the only one worth pursuing. He learned that when everyone else failed him, God protected him. He knew him. And before he even faced Goliath, he became a giant slayer because he learnt that no matter what obstacles life threw at him, God was bigger. God was bigger. He knew God as his hiding place, as his refuge and strength, as his shepherd, his rescuer, his helper, his salvation, his rock, his shelter, his fortress. David uses these phrases over and over in scripture because he knew God to be those things. In so many instances, the only one that he could run to for protection was God. And that's what he did, he didn't try to hide from God, he ran to him and he knew that God was bigger than his fears. Do you know God to be bigger than your fears? Do you know God? I believe that this is the starting point of overcoming fear. To know the one who is bigger. Not only bigger than my fears, but actually bigger than anything I could fear. May we press into that authenticity with God. May we press into that intimacy with God. May we, like David, never hide from God. May we run to him and desire to truly know him. So because David knew that God was bigger than his fear, he trusted God despite his fear. He still had the fear, but he trusted despite his fear. Psalm 56, he says, O God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? When I am afraid, I will put my trust in in him i love it when almost you can see in the psalms david almost having a conversation with his own soul reminding it like he says there i trust in god so why should i be afraid it's questioning these emotions are here this fear is here but i trust in god despite the fear when i am afraid i will put my trust in you remember you can't trust someone you don't know And so in spite of our fear, let's remember that we can trust God's character. All those things that David knew God as, his hiding place, his fortress, his salvation, those things are the same for us because God never changes. We can know God as those things as well. And in spite of our fear, we can trust in God's character. He never changes. In spite of our fear, we can also trust in God's presence. Psalm 139, one of David's most well-known psalms probably, verse seven, he says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. And depending where you are in your life, you'll read this differently. If you're trying to hide, this is not great news. But when you're afraid, it's the best news ever. I remember as a kid, my brothers and I got up to a little bit of mischief every now and then. Um, I was obviously always an innocent bystander, obviously. But I remember the one day my brother and I were playing with my dad's golf club, which we weren't supposed to be playing with. And um, as my brother swung, I don't know what happened. He connected something and the, the shaft in the head, the silver part of the golf club went flying over the wall into our neighbor's house, and he was just standing there with the handle in his hand. So we looked at each other, and what did we do? Obviously, we ran and hid as fast as we could. Tell you what, that day, my parents, it felt like my parents were everywhere. As we were trying desperately to hide from them, it felt like they were everywhere until we eventually came out of hiding and confessed. I also remember as a kid being on holiday um, in Cape Town as a family. Um, In the late 80s early 90s, and if you're not from South Africa or not from that era There were a series of kidnappings of young girls at that time and the photos of those young girls were on the milk cartons and as a nine or ten year old myself, I remember being really afraid of being kidnapped and So now being in Cape Town and on these streets that were unfamiliar and walking around. I remember being really scared You know what? my parents it seemed like they were everywhere at that time. Every time I felt a little bit nervous, I would look up, there was my, there was my, one of my parents. Or I would walk down the street, feeling, oh, there's one of my parents. It felt like they were everywhere. You see, God's omnipresence, the fact that He's everywhere. If you're trying to hide, it's not great news because He's everywhere. But when you are afraid, it is the best news ever because He is Everywhere. David carries on saying, if I ride the wings of the mornings, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. What a statement of faith. There's no place that we can go where God's strength and support is not present. Isn't it so much easier often to imagine our circumstances surrounding us, hey? rather than God's presence surrounding us. But the truth is that God's presence surrounds us all the time. And so in spite of our fear, we can trust God. We can trust His character. We can trust His presence. Trust allows us to experience that peace that passes understanding. It allows us to experience rest, to enjoy life even in the midst of our fear. We can trust God for protection. We can trust God for provision. We can trust God for strength. We can trust God for wisdom. We can trust God for the future, and the list goes on and on and on. In spite of our fears, may we trust God. May we be able to say along with David, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Because David knew that God was bigger than his fear, he trusted God despite his fear. He also worshiped despite his fear. Psalm 57, So the first half of the Psalm, David is petrified. He's saying, God there's li- surrounded by fierce lions and all of these people and please send help from heaven. That's the first half of the Psalm. And then he says, verse seven, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Again, it sounds like he's talking to his own soul. Wake up. Wake up, oh soul, it's time to praise. Wake up despite the fear, it's time to praise. My heart is confident in you, O oh God. No wonder I can sing your praises. David worshiped God in spite of his fear. Again, the fear was there, but he chose to worship. David put his trust into action. And in the midst of that fear, he chose to sing about the character of God that he trusted in and to step into the presence of God even in the midst of that fear. You know what, it's not fake to sing in faith. It's not fake. I kind of view it like a a pep talk to my spirit. I I I don't really believe this. That song that we said, it's louder than the unbelief. I'm gonna sing louder than the unbelief because that will take me to a place where I can trust despite what I'm feeling. As we sing, we come into the presence of Jesus. And watch this, David says, In Psalm 16, you will fill me with joy in your presence. And Nehemiah, we remember, says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So when we step into God's presence with worship, we find fullness of joy, and joy brings us strength. Don't we find ourselves in such a different place to when we started? Full of joy, full of strength in the presence of God. In spite of our fear, we can worship God. So when we're at our lowest, when fear is crowding in on us, we can still stand, we can raise our hands, and we can sing, and we can tell that giant that it doesn't have the final say, because God does, because God is bigger. May we make worship louder than our fears. And in spite of our fears, may we, along with David, be able to say, my heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises. So because David knew he was bigger than his fear, he trusted in spite of his fear. He worshiped in spite of his fear. And lastly, he acted in spite of his fear. He acted in spite of his fear. When you read 1 Samuel and you see the exploits of David, he he looks like this courageous hero. And then you read the Psalms, and the guy that you're reading about there looks like this timid, frail, fearful guy. They're the same person, so how can that be? I think it's because he acted despite how he was feeling. What he looked like on the outside was very different to how he felt, but he chose to act in what he knew about the greatness of God. Isn't it the same when we look at people? We often see something, and what's under the surface is very different. Courage isn't the absence of fear, remember. It's acting in spite of it. Courage isn't the absence of fear, it's acting in spite of it. And this is how God has always worked through his people. If you think about it, Abraham, God told him to leave everything and to go to this place that he didn't know. And despite his fear, he went, and God birthed an entire new nation. Moses, God told him to go and confront Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And despite his fear, he went, and God rescued a nation. Joshua, God told him to be strong and courageous and to take this new land, to lead God's people there. And despite his fear, he did it. And God gave this new land to the nation of Israel. Despite their fears, Elijah faced the prophet of Baal. Daniel faced the den of lions, Esther faced the king. Jesus faced the cross. And David faced Goliath, despite their fears. They acted on what God had said. And we can do the same. The Goliaths in our lives may seem huge, but what has God said about them? What has God said we can do despite how we feel about it? The thing about fear is like Goliath, if you don't challenge it in the name of the Lord, it will start to take up and occupy more and more territory in your mind and in your heart. So may we, like David, act in spite of our fear. And may God empower us just like he empowered David. I don't know whether fear is an occasional visitor in your life, or whether it feels like this fear has taken up permanent residence. But God is bigger. He's bigger than our fear. We can learn to trust and worship and act in spite of it. 2 Timothy 1 verse seven says, for the spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. We're gonna end the service today by, um, I'm gonna invite Tyrone to come and sing a song for us. And it's a song that's called The Voice of Truth. Our fears are very much like Goliath was. I don't know, it sometimes feels like our fear just lords over us like this giant. It makes us feel small, it makes us feel insignificant. Sometimes they even seem to shout at us or to tease us or taunt us. They're so like in your face. Sometimes they cause us to question what God has said or question even who God is. I'm not sure if you're sitting in that position today where this fear is overwhelming, it literally feels like a giant standing in front of you. I want you to take a moment wherever you are to to name that fear. What is it? Is it fear of the past? Is it fear of the future? Is it fear around your family? fear around parenting is it a fear around our country fear around COVID. fear of loss or pain is it a fear of failure or insignificance what fear are you facing right now What fear stands on the mountain across you, intimidating you, crippling you. And I want you to hear today what Jesus says to that fear. What Jesus says to your soul as he speaks straight past that fear. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So as we listen to this song, I wanna invite you to to make a choice today as you choose whether you're gonna listen to the voice of your fears or whether you're gonna listen to the voice of truth.
1: times I've tried before pray
0: that you would make your voice louder in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls and in our spirits, that we would hear your voice louder than the shouts of our fears. May we listen. May we believe what you say to us. May we receive your peace that you freely give to us. Remind us daily, Lord, that you are bigger than our fears, than anything that we could fear. You are bigger. God, thank you for your presence surrounds us. Thank you for your character, for your purity, for your hugeness, for your omnipresence, for your power. And God, help us to focus on you. And in the midst of a time where fear seems like it's running rampant all around us, God, help us to heed your words where you say, fear not, for I am with you. And we believe it to the core of our being, that you are with us and that we don't have to fear. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless, guys. As you go this week, try to worship and trust and act in spite of your fears. God bless. Peace be with you.